Come on, y'all give Landon Galloway a great big hand today. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Man, I'm happy to be here. Love uh, the Ragsdales, love the hills. We go way, way back. Uh, we do with the Ragsdales. They've known me since I was such a, a little boy and, and I always admired and respected them so much. Happy to have my wife here with me, as uh, Pastor John mentioned. Uh, she is incredible and just as beautiful on the inside as she is on the outside. Matter of fact, I thought about shifting my ministry focus to organizing mission trips to the Caribbean. Uh, because whenever guys meet her, they're like, how do I do that? I'm like, you know, for a low price of $29.99. <laughs> so y'all pray for me. I'm thinking about doing that. I think I could book a few trips that way. Um, she is. She is great. Uh, she's so great, it's kind of annoying, though, um, because, I, I mean, I think I'm okay, too, you know, and so <laughs> every time we go, people are like, Dad, is that your wife? Is that her? And one time I was preaching in, a, in Fort Worth, and I got done preaching, and I thought I did a really good job, and the pastor's father, a man in his late 70s, came up to me, and he said, he said, son, you did a good job. I said, thank you so much. He said, no, I wasn't talking about your sermon. I was talking about your wife. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you did a good job. Did a show and tell last year. Went to a group of like third graders, and they asked me to do all like their career day, and I was going to tell them all about my job and what I do and where I've gotten to go and how I get to travel, and I told them all about it, and I brought her with me, and then like every hand goes up at the end of my presentation, and I'm like, yes, yes, how can I help you? What do you want to know more about me? And they're like, "Uh, is your wife? Is she a princess? (laughs) Are all the girls there that pretty? Can we go with you sometime? Like, you know what? What about me? My mom. She's like, hey, have y'all met my daughter-in-law? Mom, like, you've known me 30 years. We grew up in the same house. Like, why? Like, oh, okay. So I'm saying, like, if I had to choose between having an awesomely gorgeous and sweet wife or or not, I would go for having one every time. But there are some downsides, you know, like, like, I'm not that bad, right? kind of introduce this to what I want to speak to you about today, Acts chapter 8. There's a a visitor, someone who travels to Jerusalem from a long distance off, and because of his exotic background, he gains a lot of interest. And I think one reason why people find Sarada so interesting is that she has this thick accent, and she's beautiful, and she's exotic, and just by, by those things, she grabs people's attention. And in the same way, the Ethiopian eunuch of Acts chapter 8 grabs our attention and pulls us into this story. Hey, let's start reading in verse 26. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Um, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah, And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. 
And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I asked, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? I love the Bible. I studied the Bible for a long time. It's, it's a, it brings so much motivation and encouragement. I love to study it. I love to teach it. It's what I'm called to do. It's my thing. I love the Bible. But I love the stories of the Bible in particular. I love all the Bible, but there are some parts that are just a little bit difficult. You ever been reading through Leviticus, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to just slip over to like Corinthians for a little while. Like, I, need, I need some Paul to balance this out for me. But the stories of the Bible are so amazing because we not only read about their stories, but we can see our own stories wrapped up in their stories. This isn't just about what happened to people long ago. This is what happens to me. This is my life. It isn't just about how God acted back then, but it shows me the potential to how God can act right now. And so we are introduced to this character by the author Luke who wrote the book of Acts. And the very first thing we're told about this gentleman is that he is an Ethiopian. Ethiopia is the southernmost part of the planet, according to first century Jewish people. It's as far as you can go. Those of you who know your Bible well might recall Acts chapter 1 verse 8, where the Holy Spirit speaks to the apostles. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And already in Acts chapter 8, the gospel is going to reach the very end of the earth. Powerful stuff. Powerful that God's word is spreading so quickly. But in the first century, they had this annoying habit of assigning character based on physical characteristics. And I know this never happens today, but if your skin was a certain color, there were stereotypes that went along with that skin color. Unfortunately, we've not advanced beyond much of the first century, but even Aristotle, who was the greatest philosopher, you guys ever heard of Aristotle? I would love to pretend like I read Aristotle all the time, but I read Aristotle once and had to go purge with an eight-hour binge of Netflix just to, <laughs> just to get my mind thinking the right way again. But Aristotle, the most influential philosopher of the time, uh, one of the most well-published authors of the era, he said it this way. He said, he said that you cannot trust those whose skin are too dark, like the Ethiopians, or whose skin is too light, like women, but rather the complexion of courage is neither too dark nor too light. This is the stereotype that exists in the first century. Whenever you're reading the book of Acts, you're okay. The gospel's been moving to Jewish people and to Samaritan people who look a lot like Jewish people. But this is a big advance to see it go into a dark-skinned Ethiopian. The Ethiopian, because of his skin color, would never be allowed into the inner circles of Rome because you can't trust him because of his ethnicity. It's the first thing we're told about him. 
Second thing we're told about him is even worse, that he is a eunuch. A eunuch is someone who has been physically handicapped, disabled, unable to reproduce for all of their lives. Now, being a eunuch in any setting, in any situation, would be terrible to have the ability to reproduce taken from you in some way, shape, or form. It'd be awful in any society, but especially in first century Roman Empire, because everything in culture, everything in society is based on gender roles, right? If you are a man, you behave a certain way. If you are a woman, you behave a certain way. You have these responsibilities that are masculine and these responsibilities that are feminine. Matter of fact, Lucian, another second century writer, he says it this way. He says, a eunuch is a monstrous abnormality because he is he's like a bird, but he's neither a dove nor a raven. He's more like a crow. Now think about this. A dove, soft, beautiful, feminine, gentle. You're not like that. A raven, strong, courageous, bold, capable. You're not like that then what are you? A buzzard. (laughs) Just some other hybrid, something outside of normality. That a eunuch had his whole identity based on the fact that he was handicapped. That he lacked the abilities that others had. That because of his skin color, he was kept out of Roman society. But then because of his handicap, the whole world looked at him and said, you don't fit. Here. There is no place for you in our society. You're either a man or a woman. There really is nothing in between. And because of your handicap, you are a monstrous hybrid. That's what culture said about this man. So right off the bat, we're told two things that Luke's readers would have initially perceived to be negatives. He's dark-skinned, can't trust him. He's handicapped, doesn't fit into society anywhere. Then we're told that he overcomes his obstacles and reaches to the highest official in the kingdom of Ethiopia, serving the queen, also known as Candace, and he's become her right-hand man. Don't you love a good come-from-behind story? A good story of someone who has to beat the odds to get where they are. And and I know you do because box office numbers tell us this. Those are the kind of movies that sell out really well. Or those about people who come from low places and achieve great things. So despite his handicap and despite the things that he had to overcome, he reaches up to be the court official of Candace, the highest paid official there. A man of great wealth and prestige. Now, I appreciate your patience as I've been building this up, but can I just preach to you for a moment? Because here's what happens now. that not We're told he's, he's black. We're told that he's handicapped. We're told that he's a court official. But watch this. All throughout the story, despite all the things that we could talk about, Luke only refers to him as the eunuch. Have you ever been at a place in life where your scars always seemed to outweigh your successes? That people notice your mistakes and ignore your miracles. Because they look at him and instead of saying, look, this is a guy who has climbed the ladder of success. He is the highest official in the kingdom. Instead, they say, there is the eunuch. There is the handicapped person. There is the person who's not quite like us and can never quite be like us. 
all throughout the story, we're told the eunuch, the eunuch, the eunuch. And I have things in my life, parts of my story, that I'm glad aren't on my website bio. (laughs) There are parts of my story that I'm glad whenever John, Pastor John introduced me, he didn't come up and say, well, let me tell you some things I've known about Landon for a while. There are parts of my story that I don't want publicized, that I don't want people to know me by. I feel like I've reached some success in my life that outweighs some of my scars from the past. But often society, people in large, they can never look beyond what you've done to who you are now. They can never look beyond, or they can never look at your present without remembering your past. And so the eunuch, though he's been so successful, he is still known as the eunuch, the addict, the divorcee, the one who faced bankruptcy. No matter what you achieve in life, people just remember the jaded past, the parts of you that you would like to move beyond. Pretty sad, and it gets even sadder. And I'm really glad the sermon doesn't end here, because it would be the most depressing Sunday ever. One final really sad note is that we're told that he has journeyed all the way to Jerusalem to worship. It's a 2,000-mile trip one way. No airport in Ethiopia, no quick way to get there. The, the only way to make the journey is to load up in a chariot. So he loaded up in his chariot, makes the trip all the way to Jerusalem, 2,000 miles, has 2,000 miles to return home. Apparently at some point he had heard about the God of Israel, about the God of the underdog, about the, about the God who... who fights and defends the powerless, and he wants to know more about that God, so much so that he traveled 2,000 miles to see if this God could save him, if this God could help him, if this God could understand him. Now, I don't know how far you travel to be at church this morning, but it likely was not 2,000 miles. But this man was so desperate to be in God's presence, to find some hope, that he made this incredible pilgrimage. Now, unfortunately for our Ethiopian eunuch, there's a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, that says that no one who has been crushed or mutilated may enter into the assembly of the Lord. 2,000 miles to get to God, only to hear someone say, sorry, you you can't come in here. This isn't a place for you. <laughs> that, that we accept most people, but your situation is a little bit beyond what God will tolerate. Your chariot driver, who's been your slave your whole life, he can enter into God's assembly, but not you. The cooks who rode in the chariot, they're good enough to get to God, but not you. That you're handicapped is beyond what our God can deal with and how, what our God can accept. If we're not careful, we'll find ourselves in the same situation today. That whenever people sin differently than we do, <laughs> that whenever people have been through something that we can't quite understand... We can say, you know what, Christianity is open to people that sin like me, but not to people that sin like you. 
our God is open to people who have failed like I have, but your failure is a little bit too much for the God of the universe to overlook. So he gets all the way there and realizes that he cannot enter in to the assembly of the Lord. And he turns around and goes all the way back. But he picks up a scroll of Isaiah on his way back and decides he'll do a little investigation for himself since he can't go into the temple. And what dedication it takes. You know, we're so used to having access to Bibles. We have so many Bibles all over the place. If you open my car door, four or five Bibles are going to fall out. (laughs) I have a Bible on my phone, on my iPad, on my MacBook. I have Bibles everywhere in every translation. But back then, if you wanted a copy of the Bible, someone would have to go and make the scroll for you, make the ink, and it would take them years of painstaking labor to be able to transcribe from one copy to the next. So it would be a very expensive piece. And here's what I want you to see, is that even though the Ethiopian eunuch was rejected by church, he did not reject church in turn. Because so often, if you or I experience that, man, Christianity is nothing but a, nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> you know, because you met one Christian who was a hypocrite one time, then every Christian ever must be a hypocrite. He could have said, you know what, if that's how God feels about me, well, here's how I feel about God. I'll go do my own thing. But instead, he said, you know what, I still want to know more about this God. And at great cost to myself, I'm not going to let someone else keep me out of God's presence. I'm not going to let the, the convictions, the opinions of everyone else keep me from where I need to go and where I need to be. So he's reading the scroll. And it's beautiful what he's reading. And he begins to read Isaiah out loud. And if you don't read Scripture at all, I really encourage you to read Scripture. And if you do read Scripture, I encourage you sometimes just to read it out loud. Because something happens when you hear God's Word. Faith comes by hearing. And even when you're just hearing yourself, there is power in reading it out loud and, and feeling the powerful words on your lips. And he's reading out loud like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before his shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And he's reading it. He's going, so there's this character who was slaughtered like a sheep, who was mutilated, who was physically harmed. I can relate to this character. I've been mutilated. (laughs) There's been parts of my life that have been slaughtered. (laughs) Then he reads, and he faced humiliation and justice was denied him. Can anyone relate more to humiliation and injustice than a eunuch? Than a man who had climbed the ladder of success to only be constantly reminded of his handicap? Can anyone claim humiliation more than the man who walks to the back door and every single person turns and looks, points and stares? His life was defined by humiliation. The the issue that he faced was different than the issues anyone else faced. He was embarrassed all the time. And so he's reading about this character who was slaughtered like he had been slaughtered, who was humiliated like he was humiliated. Then he continues to read, That no one can describe this man's generation because his life is cut short. 
the eunuch would also have no generations that followed him. Unable to reproduce. Unable to ever hold his own child. Unable to ever hear the word dada or daddy and know that it was someone that was speaking to him. This was part of his disability. And he said, there is someone who's been slaughtered like I've been slaughtered. Embarrassed like I've been embarrassed. And barren like I've been barren. Who is this? And now the story begins to turn a little bit. Because if we would have ended there with an Ethiopian eunuch rejected by religion, it would have been a very sad ending. But let me tell you, there are parts of my story that if it would have ended there, (laughs) if it would have ended then, but God is working. And so now on one scene, we have this man reading a passage, a passage that's going to change his life, a passage that he relates to, hope that he's felt for the first time in a long time. And now we... See, there's a man named Philip. Philip is in Samaria, preaching, and thousands are being saved in Samaria. Miracles, signs, wonders, and exorcisms are happening daily. As someone who preaches, I'm going to tell you that would be a pretty good setup. (laughs) To be somewhere, and, and thousands in attendance, and God's moving, and miracles are happening. And then the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip and says, Hey, Philip, I want you to leave the success of Samaria... For the desolation of the desert. (laughs) I want you to leave the thousands because there is this one guy traveling alone in the wilderness and he needs you. Isn't this the gospel? The story of what Jesus Christ does in Luke chapter 15. There are a hundred sheep and instead of the shepherd focusing on the 99 that are there, he leaves everything to go find the one. The woman, she has 10 coins, ancient coins. 90% of a fortune is still a fortune. But she leaves the nine and searches frantically for the one. That God does not just want you in the crowd. He wants you with the one. He doesn't just send you to the multitudes, but to the one. See, God so loves the whole world, but not only does he love the world collectively, but he loves the world individually. That he loves you as a person. And so God restructures Philip's preaching schedule to say, you know what? You can give the thousands a break. There's a man in the wilderness who needs you. There is one Ethiopian eunuch who needs the gospel. So Philip travels, leaves Samaria. If he was like me, he probably would have been complaining a little bit. (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) So uh, where are my accommodations in this desert, God? (laughs) I had a pretty good gig in Samaria. (laughs) Sends him there. Philip comes close and hears the eunuch reading this passage out loud. And he asks him a question. He says, do you understand what you are reading? And the Ethiopian answers with his own question. A question that moves me every time I consider it. Because he says this, How can I understand unless there is someone to guide me? How can I understand if you're playing church in Samaria? (laughs) How can I understand unless there is a person to guide me? The Ethiopian eunuch is the definition of brokenness. 
his entire life has been masked and marred by humiliation, shame, and handicap. He has a copy of Scripture, a copy of the Bible. He's broken, he has the Bible, but he needs a bridge. He needs someone that takes him from where he is to where he needs to go. In our Bible Belt culture, Nashville still so many churches that you'll very rarely meet someone who doesn't have access to the scripture. What they don't have access is to you. <laughs> they don't have access to someone that says, yes, here is what the gospel says, and here's what the gospel means, and here's how it's going to change your life. Almost every broken person in your life has the book of Isaiah in their closet somewhere. They need you to say, yes, like a sheep, he was slaughtered. And like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. He died on your behalf, died the death that you deserved, and raised up to a new life, removing all of your humiliation and shame. That's exactly what Philip does. It says he starts at that very passage and begins to explain the gospel to him. He says, yes, you're right, there was a sheep who was slaughtered. And he was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of your peace was on him, and by his stripes you are healed. That in Christ there is no longer slave nor free, black nor white, eunuch nor non-eunuch, but all are in Christ, and Christ are in all. He went on to say... And listen, there's this thing that we do in our Christian circles. It's called baptism. And whenever you go down into the water and you're baptized, you go down in your humiliation and shame and old man. And then the new man is raised up brand new. And all those old things are passed away. And everything has become brand new. So Philip began to explain the gospel. And I think sometimes we need less proclamation and more explanation. We need less, this is less the Bible says so, and a whole lot more, this is what the Bible says. We need less people preaching and more people loving and explaining and showing and displaying the gospel. Less people in picket lines and more people in living rooms having conversations. We need people that care enough to leave the thousands, to leave the success behind and get one-on-one with someone who is hurting and broken and saying the gospel will change your life forever just like it changed mine. Because here's what happened. Philip takes the time hanging out with broken people. Not just saying this is what the Bible says, but explaining verse by verse, line by line, starting with that very passage, preach the gospel. He, he didn't say, well, let me contact a few, few people. Let me consult a few commentaries. But he started right there at that point, explaining the gospel. And here was the result. The Ethiopian looks at a puddle of water in a desert. My geography skills aren't that great, but I know that puddles of water in deserts aren't all that common. But God placed that puddle right there. And the Ethiopian eunuch asked another question, just as compelling as the first question. He says, what can keep me from being baptized right there, right now? After he heard the gospel, after someone, after there was a bridge in his life who took the time to walk him through what can keep me from experiencing God's grace. See, my skin color kept me from the inner circles of Rome. 
and my handicap kept me from the inner courts of the temple, but there is nothing that can keep me from the rivers of God's grace. What can keep me from being baptized right here, right now? That's the power of the gospel. Is that there is no one here that has gone too far or committed a sin too egregious or has a past that's too jaded. I believe the point of every sermon, the whole point of the gospel is twofold. It's to comfort the challenged and to challenge the comfortable. So if you're here this morning and you feel challenged, that whenever I read the story of the Ethiopian, you begin to view your own life events through that paradigm, that you've experienced things that have made you feel disconnected from society, and then you just never really clicked in a church environment either. That you just had this overall feeling that, that there are things in your past that keep you from being like the other people that are here. There's hope for you. Just like there's hope for the Ethiopian eunuch. That there is literally nothing in your life to keep you from experiencing the fullness of God's grace. Without a shadow of doubt, I can tell you that there is nothing, neither height, nor depth, nor past, nor present, nor angels, nor demons, nor any other powers that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. If you're challenged this morning, there's your comfort. I didn't come quite as far as Philip did. This isn't the desolation of the desert (laughs) like Philip had to go to. But I believe that I'm here to be a bridge for someone this morning and just let you know in no uncertain terms, yes, you and your life and your situation, you are covered by God's grace. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus without a doubt. The gospel means that you, yes, even you, is fully accepted and loved by God. Because it's not based on you, it's based on what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross And he died for you on your worst day while you were yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. You can find love and hope and acceptance this morning. And I'm here to be the bridge because sometimes we go a long time without hearing the gospel, the plain, simple power of the gospel that will change your life forever. Jesus Christ died for you and there is nothing that can keep you away from him. That's the comfort. But the other part is to challenge the comfortable. And the challenge this morning is to consider the broken people in your life and how you need to be a bridge for them. How you need to be a Philip. How you need to be someone who's so consumed with the gospel that you can pick up the Bible and start at any point in Scripture and lead them to Jesus. A person so consumed with the love of God that you're willing to lead the success of the world and to the desolation of the desert, to get in, get in with a person, to walk with them through their difficulties and to share the gospel with them. Because the broken, they don't need a Bible. They probably have one. <laughs> and if they don't have one, they can find one fairly easily. They can have mine. They need a bridge. They need people who are willing to leave everything behind 
and to go out and find their chariot in the middle of nowhere and sit with them and show them the love of God. They need leaders who know the Bible and know it so well that the gospel just oozes. It's conversational. It's, it's easy just to work into everyday conversation. For some of you, that would mean that you need to enroll in DLI, Destiny Leadership Institute. This is what we're going to do. You're going to learn the Bible so well. It's a minimal sacrifice of time and finances, but through that you are going to be a walking, talking gospel, able to communicate the power of the good news that can change your life and the lives of those around you forever. Some of you need to consider that. So wherever you are this morning, if you're challenged, take comfort in the good news. And if you're comfortable Take the challenge that there are broken people around you that need you to be a bridge. Come on, how many receive that word right now? Do you receive that today? Just, just bow your head and close your eyes. I want to pray over you right now.